The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. It is not giving people who are headed to college a real good sense of what they can gain from literature. It's almost like a list for people who don't like to read. Hello, I'm Jack Wilson. Part two of our search for the greatest books ever, today on The History of Literature. Okay, here we go. This is part two of our look at the list of 101 books recommended for college-bound readers. This one we're going to do a little bit differently. I'm going to give you the rest of the list, numbers 51 through 101. I'll be joined by Mike, the president of the Literature Supporters Club, to walk through the list. Once again, we will talk about the ones we would remove, books that were left out. But then I'm going to cut off the conversation. We started to look at the nonfiction books that they added, and I grew angrier and angrier. I was exasperated by this list. I can't remember which book it was that set me off. It might have been Aesop's Fables. might have been John F. Kennedy's Profiles in Courage. <sighs> or, actually, let me check the list here. The Education of Henry Adams. That might have... <laughs> Put me over the edge. I don't remember now. Why do I care? Why do I care so much about the books that are recommended by the college board? Look, if I have a religion, it's books. It's the closest thing I have to a religion. I believe, or I, I want to believe, in the importance of great books for what they show about humans, for what they show about humanity. And when I hear teachers, uh, teaching is not easy, people. I understand that. I've taught for many years myself. Whether it's, whether it's English or history or philosophy or math or whatever. Whatever you're talking about. When I hear that teachers haven't engaged their students, it makes me struggle. I struggle to hold my tongue when I hear students say they hate English, and I ask why, and they say, well, we spent, we spent three months diagramming sentences. I was bored. Diagramming sentences, turn off, tune out. I know there's room for grammar. It's an important building block. It's, it's essential. I think it should be included whenever students need it should include grammar. But there's so much more to literature, to English. I saw something like this when I was teaching in Taiwan. Students there, I taught a lot of students who were immersed in cram schools, memorizing facts, learning things under a lot of pressure. They would have hours of study. Certain years in their educational system, years when they were 
getting ready to apply for and and be admitted into the next level of school, they would be under a lot of pressure to get ready for these standardized tests. I know these are systemic issues. The pressure, parents are just doing their best. They don't mean to put all this kind of pressure on their kids, but it's hard to resist when that's your avenue for advancement. And the kids were doing their best, and a lot of them were burning out. So I was brought in to help them with their English. English was a little bit different. I didn't have a, uh, an agenda. They had a regular English teacher for that. They had a curriculum. I was brought in to help with the culture, the accent, learning English from a native speaker. So we could talk about stories or ideas, as long as we were talking in English. We would have poems to read, short stories, movies, television shows we could talk about, things like that. The kids could write, and their creativity was unleashed. Not just creative writing, creativity. They could think about things and talk about them. I can remember one student, this was actually a teacher. We read Dylan Thomas's Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. It was part of an anthology that she was working her way through. And she was just overwhelmed, overcome by emotion. We talked about it. Her own father was dying of cancer. She was reading that poem and thinking about the way she felt about her father, hoping that he wouldn't give up, worried when she saw signs that he was giving up. That's what literature for me can do at its best. Here's Dylan Thomas. Here's Sylvia Plath. What do you make of this? How does it stretch you? Does it provide comfort? Does it challenge you? Does it make you think differently? Does it make you live differently? So I hear a student say, I hate math. All we did is memorize multiplication tables. Okay. It's a third grader I'm talking to. All math is is, multi is memorizing multiplication tables. Okay. I get it. That has to be learned. It's a building block. But how about making the math sparkle a little for these kids? So here comes the College Board, an influential organization. They are in charge of the standardized tests. Everybody knows it. Teachers, high school teachers who care about how their students do have to take that into consideration. When they put together tests, there are essays on the test. The essays draw from the books that the College Board deems important. Getting ready for college. This is what the College Board is all about. Getting ready for college. It's on their website. Here's how to get ready for college. Here's one thing you can do. Read books on this list. Students all over the world who are 
planning to study in America look to the college board to find out what they should read, how they can improve themselves, how they, how they can get ready for college to make sure college, which is very expensive, how can they get the most out of the college experience? And this list is such an old and tired list. It's really frustrating. It's not there to engage people's minds or get them thinking. It's to check off a box or two or 50. Know this author, know these characters, know some dates where when this or that book was written. Like I said, all that's important. There's a role for that, but it's so shallow. Where does that get us as a society? Literature is just another skill, useful to pass a test, then set it aside. No actual use for it. Just something you cram for and get through. Okay, so let's go through the list. We'll listen to the discussion about the books. Maybe you'll agree with our choices. Maybe not. Maybe you'll have your own. Maybe you'll be railing against us in your mind or while you're running on your exercise equipment or on your daily commute. Be shouting at the wall. <laughs> You'll be as angry at us as as I was at the college board. Maybe we cross off one of your favorites. My apologies in advance. In any case, I'll be back with some more ideas at the end. Instead of our long discussion on how the college board has failed, I'll have something optimistic. Because I have some ideas about how we can solve this. We can solve this whole mess. I can hear what you're thinking. Who are you to solve this mess when the college board is a panel of distinguished people who all got together, apparently in 1980, to put together this list? And they now have a panel of very distinguished people who have decided the list does not need to be adjusted in any way. (laughs) Who are you, Jack Wilson? Well, I address that too. Don't worry. I'm not replacing this list with a list of my own. I'm not that arrogant to think that I can second-guess the college board, but I do have some ideas. Stay tuned. We are going to fix this mess. Grownups, the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. 
Join the cat in the hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his Fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Okay, welcome again, Mike, to part two of the College Board's list of 101 great books recommended for college-bound readers. I feel like I never left. (laughs) <laughs> so I have we have had a couple of days to think about this list and our amendments to the list. We've crossed off a bunch of things, and I can tick through some of the, the key highlights, but I just wanted to say that I've had some second thoughts. I started out with the second thoughts of uh, feeling like there were just some I was committing some sort of sacrilege by crossing some of these people off. We we gave Chaucer a hard time last time, and and Daniel Defoe, and and Dreiser, and we knocked off a Faulkner, and we did all of these. We took uh, we did a lot of damage to these big names. But then I had third thoughts, and I looked at the people we added, like Borges and Carver and Chekhov's short stories, and Emily Dickinson and Jack Kerouac and. Tony Kushner and T.S. Eliot and all these people. And I just thought, I think this list really is missing something very essential about literature, that literature for me is about empathy and expansion. And the Canterbury Tales is almost like a history lesson. And it, it is not giving people who are headed to college a real good sense of what they can gain from literature. Yeah. I, I, I'm in agreement. I, I think, you know, it, it's almost like a list for people who don't like to read. Yeah, right. Or people who who suffered through things when they were in school, and so they think that that must be what everyone needs to suffer through. And the it really needs updating. There's people that we crossed off, like James Agee, who he's he was probably a great pick in 1975, but he's just someone who has faded with time and he should be replaced by a Juno Diaz or uh, uh, Italo Calvino or somebody who's just a little more, you know, Isabel Allende, Sandra Cisneros, Paul Auster, Billy Collins, all these people we talked about last time, uh, Edward P. Jones, that somebody who can, can give people a, a sense that literature is something that's living and breathing and that there are authors who are contemporaries or who who have come out with books in this century that can be meaningful and can speak to people today. I think it's a hard task. I think that's why... <laughs> that's what we're here for. <laughs> when, 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 when you, 100 books uh, 
when you select 100 books. I, I, that's why I was thinking maybe we should just rank 500 books for people. <laughs> the okay. way ESPN counts down like the top 500 players of all time. <laughs> Let's get onto the list. We made it all the way through K last time. We're going to start. The first batch I want to do is is L through M. And this is really, uh, I can feel you sharpening up your <laughs> sharpening up your knives over there. Yeah. So let me read the the names first. Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird, Sinclair Lewis, Babbitt, Jack London, The Call of the Wild, Tomas Mann, The Magic Mountain, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, 100 Years of Solitude, Herman Melville, Bartleby the Scrivener, Herman Melville, Moby Dick, Arthur Miller, The Crucible, Toni Morrison, Beloved. So, what are you keeping from that list? All right, so I I can't believe they have the Call of the Wild instead of White Fang, <laughs> which probably encapsulates, you know, my view of literature, which is White Fang is an exciting, <laughs> uh, you know, extreme narrative, a very violent narrative, um, and the morality is far more interesting than the Call of the Wild. Yeah. Well, look where they look what they did with morality here. I mean, there's the person we can add. They have no ends on the list, but we can add Nabokov, Lolita. I don't know why they shied away from that one. Uh, they have Henry Roth on here instead of Philip Roth, which um, you know, fine. Henry Roth is he he wrote a book that had its its little day in the sun, but I you can only think that they left Philip Roth out because they were had moral concerns. I think they, you know, they they had a lot of very safe picks on here. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would definitely keep Magic Mountain and Moby Dick, of course, but um, like Bartleby the Scrivener, I think it's, I read somewhere that that it makes a great tote bag. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's very symbolic, but it, is it, you know, a story that everyone needs to read? Um I'd be hard pressed to vote for that. Right. It's a little slight. Yeah. And when you think about the the L's and M's who are not on here, Alice Monroe would be a a very good choice. Murakami would be another one. Uh, I mentioned Nabokov already. I would even have uh Jumpa Lahiri, I think you could put on this list. Cormac McCarthy. Is another one, Mario Vargas Llosa, Doris Lessing, Ian McEwen, Laurie Moore, uh, our guy, Javier Marias, who I'm going to get that episode up soon, Primo Levi. I don't think they have any Holocaust survivor books on here. Yeah, The Periodic Table is a, is a beautiful book Yeah, by, by Levy. Um, and, you know, that, and, you know, talking about variety, as we did in the last podcast, that book, within its a single text has such variety i mean it's right. such you know the 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 degrees of nostalgia and the degrees of um guilt having survived and yeah. um yeah i mean I, I guess that's that's one thing you know when since we talked about the, the the last time we talked is the more i think of this list and the more like you said there are a lot of safe picks they they shied away from the complexity of um you know not only morals but just character mm-hmm. you know it's almost like these books some of these books are really ready made for discussion yeah sinclair and, lewis babbitt i mean come on 
<laughs> that, that's like there's you know it's like the course i talked about last time of 18th century novels okay you take a course like that that's where you read samuel richardson and and fielding henry fielding and and authors like that sinclair lewis should be in a course that you take a specialized course that's something like American novels in in between the world wars, you know, or something like that. It it does not need to be on the one hundred and one list of recommendations when you're keeping people like um, Murakami out. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love um, I think Norwegian Wood and Wind Up Bird Chronicle are two amazing novels. Um, and, uh, and, and especially Norwegian Wood is a, is a, is, is an incredible young person's novel about high school and, and college and, and so entertaining. I mean, that's the thing is, right. When I have a, when I read a long book, I, I think one of the things that keeps me going is, is the sensibility and often there's humor, but you, there, there can be a unique sensibility without humor too. Mm hmm. And, you know, Bobby Dick, for me, uh, has that. Um, 100 Years of Solitude has that. So I yep. don't want to, I don't want to, you know, really crap on this list. But, um, yeah, like the Crucible, like, I mean. I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I can't imagine anyone saying anything intelligent about the Crucible that hasn't already been said. Yeah, and there's so few plays on here, and all of them are from the 50s or earlier. It just uh, it 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 just seems like a waste. Uh, I'll keep beloved, of course. Me too. You know, I know the Magic Mountain. I hate to say this. I I would maybe swap that out with Death in Venice if we're going to have Tomas Mann. But I know that's oh, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. <laughs> I know that's your guy. Harper <laughs> Lee is in that category. <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird is in that category we talked about before of books that people really probably will encounter in high school and. And maybe they need to be on there just to make sure that everybody's caught up with everybody else. But I don't know. I, okay, let's let's move on to the next batch. Flannery O'Connor, A Good Man is Hard to Find, which I assume that's a collection of, of stories, not just the story. Uh, Eugene O'Neill, Long Day's Journey into Night. George Orwell, Animal Farm. Boris Pasternak, Dr. Zhivago. Sylvia Plath, The Bell Jar. Edgar Allan Poe, Selected Tales. Marcel Proust. Swan's Way, Thomas Pynchon, The Crying of Lot 49, Eric Maria Remark, Remarque, I don't know how to pronounce that, All Quiet on the Western Front, and Edmund Rostand, Cyrano de Bergerac. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Some of these selections really did make me laugh. I mean, I, yeah. you know, it, it's almost like they um, were looking at other lists and noticed um, people who had continue to select these books so they thought well we might as well have it on our list yeah i think so or i remember when i was a kid i had these this series of books called great illustrated classics <laughs> and they were all of these books from the they were probably it was probably a copyright thing where they just chose a lot of dickens and a lot of books that they didn't have have to pay copyright on but edmund rost on cyrano de bergerac i don't even think they that made that list <laughs> i don't know why that's on here Boris Pasternak, Dr. Zhivago. This is a list that does not have Anna Karenina, but it's got Dr. Zhivago. 
It's it it just feels dated. It's a Cold War, uh, yeah. such a Cold War book. Eugene O'Neill, I think, could go. I I, I would take uh, Proust off the list because because I, I I just don't think <laughs> many eighteen year olds are ready yeah. for Proust. That's probably right, and it's I mean, it's not something people are going to expect you to have read. Uh, and it's yeah. just Swan's way. It's not even, it's not even the entire book. So it's almost like you might as well go back to what we were talking about before. Just have a, a list of books to skim, or just to know who the yeah. authors are and and generally what they're about. I remember somebody saying that to me once about Balzac and Stendhal. They said, you know, I've never read them, but I know what they are. I know who they are, and and you know, maybe for entering college, that's that's a good enough level of of understanding. I, I did want to say though that you know whenever I look at these lists, I I always think of when I first go to um, a dinner party or go over to a, a, a newly made friend's ha- uh, a, the house of a friend I've just made and scan their bookshelves and when I noticed when I notice all of Proust, th- mm. there's there's there are a host <laughs> of uh, assumptions I make and when I know when when I see like you know, Paradise Lost by Milton or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I expect to see the, I love, I like the Bell Jar a lot and I would keep that. I think that's an important book and it's also, I love her poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I kind of expect it to be on the shelf. And so it's interesting, you know, in my memory of the friends I have, certain books really kind of pop out. Mm-hmm. And so Proust is one of them. Um, I I will say I really like the pick, The Crying of Lot 49, because that book is unlike a lot of books on this list. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I have it as as something that is not essential reading because I think of Pynchon as as being another one who is fading a bit with time. I think he's he's we've absorbed him in a way. But I agree with you that in the context of this list. That's when yeah. it stands out as as a less safe choice and something that's actually kind of interesting. And it has the funniest lawyer in <laughs> literature. I mean, I mean. Um, well, wait, I, wait. I think I think maybe it's number two after Lionel Hutz from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to bring in bring up uh, William Gaddis's Frolic of One's Own. <laughs> no, it's Hutz all the way. <laughs> I mean, and we talked about this last episode. You know, Animal Farm. Um, again, it's it's a it's it's a fascinating book when you when you read it when you're 13. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, the collection of essays. Yeah, that, that's outstanding. I mean, his collection. It, yeah. it's so good. And and especially um, the essay "Politics in the English Language" right. is yeah. one that college students they should probably just hand that out at uh, orientation week yeah and i you know and and that speaks to another point which is i think there's some there's a lot to be learned by reading british uh authors and i'm an anglophile so maybe i'm biased but i think the brits their use of language is more precise Mm -hmm. um and it's also more um strategic like that they 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 dip into modes language linguistic modes far more than american writers i think mm. i you know I, I think when you read orwell's essays you, you you're just so struck by the precision of the language 
Yep. Okay. So the interesting thing about this batch is, although I found a lot, plenty to cross off of the, I guess it's O through through R, mm-hmm. I did not really come up with a lot of names that I would necessarily swap in. So we don't have to spend too much time on it, but I, I don't know that, that I would add Joyce Carol Oates, for example, or... Uh, mm-hmm. I had Grace Paley, uh, Orhan Pamuk, who I've never read, but I know Snow is is uh, has a lot of fans that that maybe it's something if I read it I would I would think it deserved being added to the list. No, no, Anthony Powell. Oh, Anthony Powell. <laughs> nope, nope. I could leave. Him. <laughs> I, I could I, leave him out. I I would vote for a Goodbye Columbus. I have a sweet spot for the for that book. Uh, I, I've read it a couple right. times, and I think for an 18-year-old, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a pretty cool collection of stories. Yep, and and that's getting us into the next batch because Henry Roth is is the first one and the next one. But definitely, it seemed very strange to me that, given this list and given when they compiled it, it seemed like a real uh, conscious omission to leave off Philip Roth, even though he's not one of my favorite authors or anything, but it did feel like they were taking a position. So let me go through the next batch. This is uh, R through the first half of S. Henry Roth, Call It Sleep, J.D. Salinger, The Catcher in the Rye, William Shakespeare, and he's got uh, four titles on here, Hamlet, Macbeth, A Midsummer Night's Dream, and Romeo and Juliet, George Bernard Shaw, Pygmalion, Mary Shelley, Frankenstein, Leslie Marmon Silko, Ceremony, and Alexander Solzhenitsyn, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. I would uh, strike up Pygmalion. That that to me that's another one of those um one joke. Yeah. One line jokes. Um, yeah, and yeah. who I mean, are they even putting on Shaw plays now? Like it just Yeah. Uh his he's a, a historical curiosity, I think. There is a good group of of names in this range that yeah. could be added. In addition to Philip Roth, there's Marilyn Robinson, there's Salman Rushdie. I think Midnight's Children is mm, yeah. is, is probably something that should be on this list. There's W.G. Sebald, there's Jose Saramago, Zadie Smith would be a nice inclusion here. And I would probably add uh, Stendhal. Oh, yeah. So there's plenty we could add. Shakespeare is interesting. I mean, you could have sort of the collected works of William Shakespeare, and it would probably all pretty much, you know, there's probably 10 or 12 plays that that could really go on this list. The sonnets could also be included. But if they're picking four, I guess, you know, these four are are as good as any. I'm not a huge fan of A Midsummer Night's Dream, but that may be just me and, and my personal taste, Hamlet and Macbeth would be on my list. Romeo and Juliet probably would be. I thought they should replace Midsummer's Night Dream with Twelfth Night. I think Twelfth Night is, you know, you get a lot of that playfulness, but you uh-huh. get you get the cross-dressing, which is a fairly common theme with Shakespeare and also the fact that all the actors were, were men playing women, so you had a, a man playing a woman who was pretending to be a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Twelfth Night is is a fantastic play. Yeah, and and they left out uh, Othello and and Lear are kind of the yeah the two major omissions. Um, you know, 
there there's just a lot that you <laughs> yeah you, you left out the henry henry the yep. fourth henry the fifth yeah and the tempest i mean it's i guess they can only do so much yeah but, but it's it, it's weird to see you know four plays by shakespeare and you start thinking about all the plays that they're leaving out and then to see the next one george bernard shaw pygmalion <laughs> and you just think come on does that really belong on this list right <sighs> yeah, okay I mean, and oh, i i you know i i like to pick like catching the rye i i think you know you should have read mm-hmm. it by 18 but if you haven't I, I think it's you know it's it's a it's an age-appropriate pick yeah and mary shelley same thing uh yeah. you know worth reading i think solzhenitsyn for me is kind of going the way of pasternak where although mm-hmm. i i i acknowledge that it's a powerful book uh it's kind of strikes me as being kind of a cold war book and and maybe the cold war is is dissolving in importance yeah okay next batch sophocles antigone sophocles oedipus rex is that two of the three trilogy yeah yeah so they they just left out the third one uh stein john steinbeck the grapes of wrath robert louis stevenson treasure island harriet beecher stowe uncle tom's cabin jonathan swift gulliver's travels william thackeray vanity fair henry david thoreau walden Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace, and Ivan Turgenev, Fathers and Sons. This is another batch that just, I'm just getting more and more incensed the farther along we go here. I mean, Gulliver's Travels, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I mean, are we going to put Winnie the Pooh on this? I mean, it's like, I I think, uh, oh, you know, you know who's not on here is Lewis Carroll. That is a little surprising when I think about it. Yeah, Gulliver's Travels, it's true. You know, you could hand out a comic book of the story if if you think the story needs to be told. Right. Uh, Jonathan Swift, if anything, if a college student needs to know anything of Jonathan Swift, it's probably a modest proposal. Uh, that gets referred to here and there, and that's kind of a fun and, and easy read. I just don't think Gulliver's Travels or Uncle Tom's Cabin or Vanity Fair, or Fathers and Sons, or Treasure Island, or The Grapes of Wrath, really need to be read by a college-bound reader. Yeah, I mean, it's... All right, Antigone, I think, is... um, Antigone is the one where the woman has... uh, Her her brother uh, betrays her city and they won't allow the, a proper bur- burial is that is that that yeah okay so i, I okay I, I just read that a couple of years ago and i loved it yeah so and it, again it's another vote uh, another positive is that it's very short you can i read it in a day so right. i would vote for that but i yeah i'm in agreement with you here it's almost like they needed to pick a couple of books from snt Letters S and T, just and just plucked a few here. Um, yeah, I uh, mean they. Uh, we've already mentioned Zadie Smith and and Stendhal. Yeah. They could have chosen and, and Sarah Mongo's Blindness. I I yeah. thought that was just an incredible book, and you know, kind of tied into a lot of the um, the 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 popularity of Apocalypse mm-hmm. and 
you know, dystopian TV shows and, you know, movies. Yeah, if people haven't read that book, I, I really recommended it. There, there's, there's kind of a spread of blindness throughout the city. And what happens, kind of like what happens in The Walking Dead, is that little societies form. Every society is built, uh, it, it is structured on power, except for like a couple. And those are immediately like, you know, preyed upon by the power societies. Mm-hmm. And it's all so descriptive because it's all told in the, you know, they're all blind. So people are just groping. And then without revealing too much, it turns out that somebody is not blind. Right. Oh, it's so good. And he's, you know, he won the Nobel Prize. I mean, I, I think we're, I think we're, uh, we have enough distance, enough critical distance to say that he's somebody who has stood the test of time and could easily go on a list of books that that one would recommend to a college-bound reader. Yeah. You know, War and Peace, you could also have Anna Karenina on there. I, I guess, you know, 700 pages of Tolstoy is enough to give you a flavor of what he's about, but I would I would say that both of those two books are more important than, at this point, Uncle Tom's Cabin or yeah. Vanity Fair. Okay, final batch. Mark Twain, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Voltaire, Candide, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., Slaughterhouse-Five, Alice Walker, The Color Purple, Edith Wharton, The House of Mirth, Eudora Welty, Collected Stories, Walt Whitman, Leaves of Grass, Oscar Wilde, The Picture of Dorian Gray, Tennessee Williams, The Glass Menagerie, Virginia Woolf, to the Lighthouse, and Richard Wright, Native Son. To the Lighthouse is one of my favorite books, so I was very happy to see it. See, see this on the list. Yeah, you could. You could. I. Uh, I also wrote down Mrs. Dalloway. You could add here and and the essay Room of One's Own. Mrs. Dalloway is such a trip, though. Reading that can really. <laughs> 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 I think she. I think she took stream of consciousness to a new level with Mrs. Dalloway. <laughs> My markings in that book are pretty funny. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, Leaves of Grass is, is, is an essential book. But the, the rest of this list, I, I, you know, I could really take it or leave it. Ouch. That's the president of the Literature Supporters Club, taking a look at the college board's list of the 101 recommended books for college readers and saying he could take it or leave it. But you see what the problem is? We have selection issues. Here's a list that the college board put together. Looks like a list from the mainly from the 1950s. People who came of age in the 1950s they took control. They took control of the reins. Took over the reins in the 1970s. Put together this list. As far as I can tell, the last time this has been updated was probably 1985. There's a few half-hearted attempts to diversify the list, which are much appreciated, but woefully inadequate. It's not a list that's going to speak to people. But then again, 
You see what the problem is? Who am I? For that matter, who's Mike? The two of us are just two more voices. What do we know? Why are we better? It's just two votes. So, thankfully, there's a solution. And there's a man, Shane Sherman. I know nothing about him. He's my hero for the day. He's already getting started on this. He has a different approach. I found this at the site greatestbooks.org. It's a, a wonderful way of thinking about this. In the internet age, it's kind of like the, if you're familiar, those of you who follow American politics might be familiar with the, with the website 538.com, Nate Silver's site. What he does is he doesn't take a poll, just another poll. Every poll has assumptions. They all ask different questions. They all reach different people. They all have different methodologies. There's a lot of assumptions that go into a poll. In our current climate, the assumptions might be, do you include people who have cell phones? Or are you just calling people's home phones? And do you include third-party candidates when you're asking people's preferences? Do you ask people if they're a registered voter and which party they're affiliated with? Or do you just ask them which party do they identify with? You can get slightly different results based on all of these different choices and assumptions. It's not that dissimilar from the different choices or assumptions that Mike or I would make or that the college board made. Do you value books that are more recent or do you value books that stood the test of time? Do you look for diversity? Do you try to round out the list? Do you value those things more heavily because you're trying to build a list that's more reflective of the general population that will speak to people of all different backgrounds? What, how do you weight this? How do you, how do you choose? How do you select? Nate Silver says, well, we're not going to conduct a poll and assume that we can come up with all the perfect assumptions. We're going to combine all of the polls. We're going to use a methodology that will weight state polls more heavily than national polls. We have to make some assumptions there, but our research is going to be to put together a poll of polls. That's what Shane Sherman is getting at with his greatestbooks.org site. He has 107 lists of the greatest books of all time. And he's feeding them all into an algorithm. And he is transparent with his methodology. That's important. So you can take a look at the list that he's included. I think he's willing to include any list that seems credible. And the lists are very diverse in their approach. The top 100 works in world literature chosen by the Norwegian book clubs. That's in here or the 110 Best Books, The Perfect Library, which was put together by The Telegraph, the British newspaper, or Harold Bloom, How to Read and Why. He had a list, 
Thomas C. Foster, How to Read Literature Like a Professor, Martin Seymour Smith, The 100 Most Influential Books Ever Written. Those are by individuals, but they're in here too. The 100 Greatest Novels of All Time by The Observer. It goes on and on. 50 Books That Changed the World. Believer Magazine, Donald Barthelme's Reading List. 100 Best Books in the World, chosen by Abe Books, a German website. Or The Millions, an American website, chose the best fiction of the millennium. All of these lists, it goes on and on. And he gives some of them less waiting and more waiting. If it's only done by a single individual, he takes off a few points. If it's limited to 25 or less years, he takes off some more points. He has 22 different criteria. It's all, it's all listed. You can argue or you could question his choices, but they're there for you to look at. It's not a black box like the college board is. I really like this approach. And if you were trying to find books recommended for college-bound readers, maybe you would include a survey of syllabi, or you would weight more heavily books by lists by college professors. Wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't that make sense? Here's a list, the 50 books everyone needs to read. That's in here. He also includes books that have won awards, National Books Book Critic Circle Award, National Book Awards, Pulitzer Prize. They all make their way into this algorithm. Let's see what the results are like. Here's my idea. You can also break this down by decade. It's a very interesting website. You can break this down by decade. So here's my idea. Since the College Board seems to have stopped their selections at 1985, I thought, well, what if we were to take 20 books that were written this century? Just start there. 20 books written in the 2000s. And maybe another 10 written in the 90s. And then maybe 70 that were the greatest of all time. How about that? Would that be, and we use this compendium of lists, this list of lists, this mega list, would we come up with a better list of 100 just by doing that? And this is without even tweaking Shane Sherman's methodology, looking for books for college-bound readers. This is just using his methodology to find the greatest books of all time. Here's what we'd come up with. Here are the 70 books that we would come up with as the greatest books of all time. I won't read the entire list. I'll just start out. You stop me when you think we have named an inessential book. In Search of Lost Time, Marcel Proust. That's number one. 
All those lists churning away, all those selections, all those people thinking. They're all generating their lists. And that's what surfaced as number one. Number two, Ulysses by James Joyce. Number three, Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes. Number four, Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Five, Hamlet, William Shakespeare. Six, War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. Seven, The Odyssey by Homer. Eight, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Nine, The Divine Comedy by Dante Alighieri. Ten, Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert. Flaubert. Eleven, Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Twelve, One Hundred Years of Solitude. Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Thirteen, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. 14, The Iliad by Homer. 15, Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. 16, Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. You can hear there's already books, essential books, that were not on the College Board's list. 17, Crime and Punishment. 18, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. 19, The Sound and the Fury. 20, Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen. 21, The Catcher in the Rye. 22, Wuthering Heights, by Emily Bronte. 23, 1984, by George Orwell. 24, Heart of Darkness, by Joseph Conrad. And 25, To the Lighthouse, by Virginia Woolf. 25. I don't have a single book there that I could cross off. Every one of them. Something is going right with Mr. Sherman's list of lists. And if I look at the the rest of the 70, I see Middlemarch, I see The Trial, I see Chekhov's stories, I see Stendhal. I see The Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, Great Expectations, Beloved, Borges' Collected Fiction, Midnight's Children, all those books that we thought probably deserved a spot are here. They made their way onto this list through this process. All these people, people around the world, He includes lists by French newspapers, Spanish newspapers, Argentinian authors choosing their favorite books. It's incredible. How do we do with books from the 2000s? Number one, the corrections by Jonathan Franzen. Now, a lot of you probably know, if you've been listening to the podcast, I have my issues with Mr. Franzen. However... I will acknowledge that he is someone to be reckoned with. If you are recommending books for people to read to get them ready for college, I can see where he needs to be on the list. Austerlitz by W.G.C. Bald. The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Shabon. That's number three. Atonement by Ian McEwan. Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. 2666 by Roberto Bolaño. 7. The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde 
by Juno Diaz. 8. Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides. 9. White Teeth by Zadie Smith. And 10. The Road by Cormac McCarthy. It goes on once again. Remember, I'm taking 20 here, just from this millennium. 20 to add to my list for college-bound readers. And I get Margaret Atwood. I get Lydia Davis. I get a graphic novel, Jimmy Corrigan, The Smartest Kid on Earth by Chris Ware. I get Edward P. Jones. I get Derek Walcott, Marilyn Robinson, The Life of Pi by Jan Martel. I get Orhan Pamuk, Kazuo Ishiguro. Then if I take my 10 from the 90s, I get American Pastoral by Philip Roth, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, Selected Stories of Alice Monroe, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien, Jesus' Son by Dennis Johnson, These Jazz by Toni Morrison, These... I'm getting angry again. Because what do we lose if we do this? Those are my... That's my new 100. It's this list of lists. What would we lose? All Quiet on the Western Front, A Death in the Family, The Last of the Mohicans, Dreiser's American Tragedy, Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw, 20 others like this, crossed off. Easily crossed off. We're not going to miss The Last of the Mohicans. People are better off reading Haruki Murakami. I believe that. I believe that. I know people, he's their favorite author. Is there anyone who would say that James Fenimore Cooper is his or her favorite author? Maybe. Maybe a couple of English major people who are deep into it. But is there anybody who would pick up that book and feel like my student felt in Taiwan, the one who was overcome when she read Dylan Thomas's poem? Would anyone feel that way reading The Last of the Mohicans? Feel like it would resonate with them in some way? Engage them. Oh, man, I know, I know. Wisconsin Happy Boy. Where's Wisconsin Happy Boy? Well, here's what, here's what I know. He's, maybe he could return if the college board would scrap their list. Why don't they hire Shane Sherman? He could show them a better way. Okay. I think that's going to do it for this time. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening. As always, it's appreciated. You can find more at jackwilson.com, J-A-C-K-E, wilson.com, or 
historyofliterature.com. We're also rolling with our new Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash historyofliterature. You can like our page and keep up with all the news that way. Or you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, you can leave us a a five-star rating or a review. Or you can send me an email at jackwilsonauthor at gmail.com. Once again, that's J-A-C-K-E, wilsonauthor at gmail.com. I love to hear from you. Maybe you've got your own ideas about which books should be included or how to select a list. Maybe you want to defend certain selections. Why not send me an email? Let me know what your favorites are, what books you hate, what books you think we've had enough of. I'd love to hear from you. Okay. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jack Wilson, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>